In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Nice to see all of you tonight. What a wonderful crowd on this beautiful evening. I don't know if you heard about the couple from Minneapolis who, after just a really long, uh, enduring a really long, cold winter, decided that they needed a few days in Florida. And... um, and so uh, they were trying to coordinate their calendars. They both worked. They couldn't quite get it where they could do. So he decided to come down a day uh, early, get checked in, get things set up, and then uh, invite uh, or his wife would come down the next day. When he checked in, he uh, typed an email uh, to his wife saying that he had gotten there, but he accidentally left off one character of the email. He didn't notice his error, sent the email. In another part of the country, a widow had just returned from the funeral of her husband. He was a pastor many years. He'd been called to glory just a few days earlier. And she decided to check her email because she knew that lots of friends would be uh, reaching out to her relatives. And she read the first email, let out a loud scream and fainted and fell to the floor. Her son heard her rushed uh, in And he glanced up at the computer screen and saw the following email message. To my loving wife, I've just been checked in. Everything has been prepared for your arrival here tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you then, your devoted husband. P.S. Sure is hot down here. (laughs) I love that. Everyone has an idea, don't they, of what life after death is going to be like. Everyone, and we, and we really, we like to think, when we talk about life after death, we like to think much more about heaven, don't we? And today, our reading from, uh, from Revelation is about heaven. Everybody has an idea of what they imagine heaven is going to be like. I mean, maybe you've read some of the books where people who have visited heaven come back tell about it, or you've read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. I highly recommend The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Um, or maybe you've just imagined what it must be like to be reunited with the people that you love so much. I have a friend whose son died when he was three years old. It's unexpected. Uh, it was, um, that child was four days older than my son Luke. It was, just, it was just devastating. But that friend talks about heaven now all the time. And he talks all the time about what it is like to have a son who lives in heaven. I wonder what Cam's doing now in heaven. The thing about our imagined ideas of heaven is that the only thing we have to, to think about it with is earthly images. Everything that we think of in heaven We've seen here somehow, some way, and we've projected it there. We've never been there, so we don't know exactly what it's going uh, to be like. For instance, there is some talk in the Bible about being reunited with loved ones uh, in heaven, but there's very little talk of that. But, but you know, um, most of Scripture talks about heaven in terms of wonder and uh, worship. But, you know, we really can't think of anything more wonderful than being reunited with our loved ones. So that's what we tend 
to focus on. Our passage in Revelation tells us a little bit about what heaven is going to be like. Now, this is the end of the story. It's the story started with creation, and it ends with new creation. It started in a garden, and it ends in a city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. This is the end of all things and the beginning of all that is to come. This is not where you will go after you die. This is where we will all go after that. Now, if that kind of blows your mind, we can talk about that a little bit later. But you're going to go and you're going to, when Christ comes to return and take his uh, reign in glory, that's what this is. This is Christ's return. This is after the final defeat of Satan. This is uh, after the final judgment of all evil and the eternal reign of Christ begins. And all those who, uh, whose sins have been forgiven by the cross of Jesus are there, residents of this new Jerusalem. This is the new heaven and the new earth. This is what Jesus died for. This is what we are resurrected to. And this is what Jesus uh, died and rose to get us to. So, and I want to have a little caveat. The book of Revelation is not best understood in concrete terms. We want to give some some allowance for a little metaphor here. Uh, But I want to pick out two things that I think that we can, uh, that this says definitively, that we can look forward to about heaven. First, the first thing about heaven is that there will be a very familiar feel to this new heaven and new earth, but it will be quantitatively different. It'll be a very familiar feel to it, but it'll be quantitatively different. Think about the resurrected Jesus. He was a man. He had flesh and blood. He he bore the scars uh, of his wounds from the cross Uh, He started a charcoal fire on the Sea of Galilee. He ate bread and fish, and yet there was something different about him, wasn't there? I mean, he appeared behind locked doors. His friends walked with him for miles on the road to Emmaus without recognizing them, and when they did recognize him, he vanished. (laughs) So there was something familiar about him, but there was something different about him. Uh, as well. And I think that we see that here in the new heaven and the new earth. That there's going to be earth and sky. Uh, there's going to be a created order that is just beautiful to look at. We'll have bodies that need to be fed. We'll enjoy relationships with people we love. We'll enjoy activities that we love, things we love to do. We'll worship the God that we love. There's going to be a familiarity to it. But it also is going to be quantitatively different because it will be a world that does not have the oppression of sin or the specter of death. And there will be no disease or death. There will be no corruption or crime. And it's kind of hard for us, maybe impossible really, for us to think about a world like that. I mean, just think about our professions. 
we might know, we know what the artists and the cooks and the musicians and the builders were, will do, maybe, but what will police officers do if there's no crime? What will doctors and pharmacists do if there's no disease? What will counselors do when there's no mental illness? What will preachers do when there's no need for repentance? What will meteorologists do when it's always sunny in 77? I don't know. But whatever is in store for us, it's going to be wonderful beyond our wildest dreams. So it's going to be quantitatively different without the oppression of sin, but also qualitatively different. Uh, No brokenness in relationships. I can't tell you how I look forward to that. When I was at my first church in ordained ministry on Johns Island, South Carolina, right outside of Charleston, uh, there were two steel magnolias. Well, there were a lot of steel magnolias there, but there were, there were two steel magnolias in particular, a mother and a daughter who lived next door to each other and had not spoken to one another in 10 years. And it really caused a lot of problems because there was another daughter who had to kind of juggle and carry messages back and forth, and it was kind of a mess, to be honest with you. And, um, and the, mother, the, the mother, the matriarch, died, at the beginning of, uh, maybe right around Thanksgiving. But three weeks later, the daughter, with whom she had not spoken, died. Right? I mean, like, I think we did the funeral two days before Christmas. And uh, the daughter, Carol, had three children who loved their grandmother. And I had a moment sitting around the table with those children. Their dad had gotten up to take a call. And the grandkids began to wonder aloud what it would be like for their grandmother to see their mother walking through the gates of heaven. And one of them, and they, they kind of talked like this, he said, I bet they're up, just, up there just cutting fool together. And I just said to them, you know, they are completely reconciled now. And another one said, yeah, all that stuff is behind them now. I got to preach the mother's funeral, and it was this passage. Behold, I am making all things new. That was the passage at this funeral. It was like the Lord took a blanket and just took with this passage just laid it over that situation. can't tell you how much healing this passage brought to that whole family. And they were all, on John's line, they're all related. So it just, the whole island was, was comforted. It gave them such hope and peace to know that he's going to wipe away every tear. Uh, death will be no more because the former things will, pa- will have passed away. So first, there will be a familiarity to the new heaven and the new earth, uh, but there will be a qualitative and quantitative difference in ways, I think, again, are wonderful beyond our wildest imagination. Second, we will be with God. And that might seem fairly obvious, but we will be with God. We see in the passage, uh, as the new Jerusalem is revealed, there is a voice from the throne. That would be the voice of God 
himself loudly declaring the dwelling place of God is with humanity. I think our uh, translation says uh, is among mortals, but that's what it means, is among people. The dwelling place of God should be and shall be among humanity. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and he himself will be their God. And so we're in this city, we're in the New Jerusalem, and there must be just millions, maybe billions of residents in there, but it's like the Garden of Eden, too. You remember in the garden where God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day? And they knew Him to talk to Him? It will be like that in the new heaven and the new earth without the interference of sin, without fallen nature, without broken ambition. It all will be as it was always intended to be. And so the dwelling place of God will be with us, with His people. And He won't have the secret service around keeping out the riffraff and checking the guest list just for the elite to have a minute with Him. No, He will be with us. And we will be with Him. And I don't know exactly how that's going to happen or what that will look like. But I do know that it will be glorious. So that's what I want you to know. But why does it matter? Well, I ran a marathon once. I don't think I'll do that again. Because let me tell you that mile 23 and mile 24 were some of the worst moments of my life. <laughs> was, that marathon was 22 of the best miles of my life. It really was. Mile 23, 24, it was terrible. But as I kind of got into about mile 25 and a half, it was all I could do to even remember my name, I began to hear the crowd in the stadium. And I began to, to, um, to know that the finish line was near and I could just feel my pace picking up a little bit, my steps getting back to where they were, and I sprinted across that finish line at the end, and then I collapsed. But, but I, it, was, it was knowing what was awaiting me that gave me the energy to continue. And so I hope, in some sense, that no matter what you're facing, or no matter what you will be facing in your life, that you just remember to hear the roar of the crowd and that you know what awaits you. That there's going to be a familiarity and a beauty, but there's going to be a difference that is beyond our wildest imagination. But whatever it is, you're going to be with God, with the very one who loves you more than you can even imagine what love is. And that is proven in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I don't know who put the lectionary together, but I'm so glad they put Revelation in Easter because when we're talking about resurrection, we're talking about heaven. And so that's what awaits you. No matter what you're going through, can you hear the roar of the crowd? Can you hear that the dwelling place of God is with you? Amen.